accountants have a, I'm, I'm one, uh, we have a tendency to be doers and we, we work, you know, people that work in accounting departments and companies have a tendency to work on this cycle of deadlines and getting things done. And we wanted to explain that lean accounting is more about practices which go on all the time, not something you just do once in a while. You know, the original, one of the original ideas, Nick, as we were working on the book was it was going to be a roadmap, almost a traveler's guide. And I think, you know, for each of us, because we've each been on our, our own journeys, implementing lean accounting as, as, as accounting and finance leaders, the idea of having something that, like Nick said, integrated, not just what, what is uh, already available in other great books that's out there, but our own experiences in a way that was really practical, which is, and, and, and a roadmap or a traveler's guide seemed like, okay, well, you know, we're going to follow this roadmap um, and, and, uh, and it would be really practical. But then ultimately, uh, ultimately it turned into just the idea of, well, it's, we're, it's a practice where we're, we want to talk about how to practice lean accounting. Hi, I'm Tracy O'Rourke. And I'm Elizabeth Swan, and we are from the Just In Time Cafe, and welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions, we talk to thought leaders, we discuss great books, and get insights from Lean Six Sigma practitioners. We let you in on helpful apps, bring you the news, and challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. Hey, Elizabeth, what's on the cafe menu today? Today's highlight is our interview with Nick Katko and Mike DeLuca, co-authors of their new book, Practicing Lean Accounting. Mike and Nick are a great duo, and they gave us some insights into the biggest source of waste in accounting processes, and it's not money. Mm -hmm. Next up, it's an app that sets you up to be a rock star team builder. And for Q&A, we asked our problem-solving community how about how they dealt with the classic solution masquerading as a problem known as lack of training. It's a great new year at the cafe, Tracy. Up next, it's hot apps. Yeah, Tracy, today's app is called Confetti. It's an app that brings a whole new level of intrigue and impact to team building. Maybe you want to go try something like an escape room, and I have no idea what that is. Yes, today's virtual environments have forced us to rethink how we work. And I think many of us have experienced online engagement is still a puzzle to be figured out. And that includes how we continue to build important relationships with each other as well. Enter Confetti. It's an app or service geared towards fun. Their claim to fame is unforgettable team building or networking experiences. They have hundreds of team building ideas that you can book instantly on a one of a kind platform. They have fun virtual games like Coworker Feud, Taboo, Virtual Escape Quest, Elizabeth, Pictionary, Classic Trivia and Mini Games. They also have what I was very intrigued about, shippable experiences like Latin American cooking class, a winter mixology class, 
a tie-dye workshop, a hot chocolate bomb making class, or if you just want to host a virtual lunch party. And when you sign up for one of these, they handle all the boxing and shipping of all the items. Wouldn't that be fun to get a chocolate bomb making kit? I, I love want, it. I just want the bombs. I want, I want right, to make yeah. them. <laughs> and you know what? Let's face it. Hosting an online event can be a challenge. Some of us don't like to do it, but we're kind of forced into it. So if you need a little help, Confetti has a team building event or events where you can hire an engaging host so you don't have to worry about it. They'll host the Jeopardy game. They'll host the murder mystery or the holiday pub party. And you can just sit back and participate in the festivities and not have to worry about that stuff. But I'm going to say, it costs money. <laughs> it's not cheap to engage confetti. So hopefully you've got a budget for employee morale available. <laughs> Some events are only $7 a person, so that's not bad. But then they have events that are 300, 500. I saw one for as much as 2,500. Then again, who can put a price on employee morale and how important it is? So Elizabeth, what did you discover when you uh, looked it up? Yeah, thanks for suggesting this one. I found an event called Zero Waste, which caught my eye given our backgrounds. Um, and it was a one hour remote Zoom workshop for up to 300 people on how to reduce their impact on the environment. And I tried the little instant quote feature and I found out that you could have up to 29 people. I kept pumping in other numbers. I'm like, what about 10? What about 20? What about 29? So for all the numbers up to 29, it cost 750 bucks. And it was tiered pricing. So then the end of it was uh, 2250, uh, 2250 for 300 people in the workshop. You know, and it covered things like recycling and what was reusable. And it was run by an environmental advocate. And um, that, would, that one looked, you know, both kind of an educational piece. But again, you're doing it with a group. And then you could even register to become a vendor, you know, if you've got your own workshop that you want to offer. And the fact that they source out all the events means they've got a constantly expanding list of offerings. And since part of our work life is now permanently remote, you know, it seems like a great way, you know, like you said, there's a budget to reconnect with and engage teams in ways that could be, you know, entertaining, but it could also be educational and useful. So I thought that was kind of cool. Very cool. So we're going to include the link to Confetti on the podcast post on our website so you can check it out. I'm Elizabeth Swan, and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you'll get to hear our interview with Mike DeLuca and Nick Katko. Next up, it's a question we pose to our community. How do you help people move beyond the lack of training mentality? So this is something that you and I have both heard a lot. You know, people just need more training. That's the, that's the problem, but it's not, you know, yeah, you want to just shoot yourself, but it's like, you know, lack of anything. That's, that's a trigger that then we know it's a solution that's masquerading as a problem. And, you know, there's going to be some training, but it always reminds me, and you've heard me tell the story, but I had an instructor at my local gym. It was a spin class and she was awesome. I loved her. She got me in great shape. And every time we finished the class, she was clearly somewhat annoyed, but always good natured with us. You know, she was fishing plastic water bottles out of the trash and she'd say, people, this is not the recycling bin. Like the recycling bin 
is on the right and trash is on the left, right? Trash left, recycle right. She just kept repeating the instructions every time we finished it, trying to, trying to train us. And I realized just like the people we coach sometimes, she saw the problem as a training issue. You know, she regularly repeated instructions, hoping, you know, we'd get it. And, you know, you and I are thinking, well, maybe the bins could be different colors, you know, maybe there'd be labels, but, you know, that doesn't occur to everyone. So, you know, I, we see it with our team leads. They list lack of training as a problem or a root cause. You know, I tell them the story and then I see, do they see this as a knowledge gap? You know, not so much need for training, but that there is a knowledge gap and how are we going to, how are we going to fill that? Mm-hmm. And then we asked the community. So we got some great responses. Um, Jamie Flinchbaugh, author of his latest book, People Solve Problems, um, and also a guest on the, on the show. He said, anytime people jump to retraining as a solution, I have to ask, if it didn't work the first time, why would doing it again be different? And I love that. He just sums up basically the classic definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Another technique comes from our colleague, Stephanie Hill, owner of Lightbulb Moment Consulting and Senior Process Analyst for Barry Applebaum in Leiden. And she offered, whenever I teach eight aspects of good solutions, I include change not train and lack of or need more are no-nos when soliciting issues. So even if training is amazing without tools or just making the work more logical, people will drift to what works best for them. And that may be a case of sharing best practices. So I love that. What, uh, which ones did you pick out? Well, here's another good one from continuous improvement engineer, Doug Stone. He coaches others that if a manager calls and says you need to train their people, he tells them to ask these three questions. Please share with me the evidence you have that points to lack of training, number one. Number two, have the people been trained on what it is you think they lack? And number three, how will you know that the training you want is successful? He has the folks that get training requests post this in their office or cubicle. Not bad. And this is great advice from Hugh Alley. Hugh Alley is author of Becoming the Supervisor, and he was a recent guest at the JIT Cafe as well. He learned from an early mentor to consider four reasons people don't do what's wanted in order. Number one, they don't know what is wanted. Two, they don't know how to do what is wanted. Three, they don't have the ability to do what is wanted. And four, they don't want to do what is wanted. And he added a fifth, which is what is wanted can't be done by mere mortals. (laughs) He observed that most leaders presume the issue is either option four or lack of training, which is option two. But in reality, most of the time, the issue is option one. They don't know what is wanted. So as a result, his opening question is almost always How do you know what they actually know what you want them to do? Great question. I love that one. Uh, Here's some good guidance from author and lean coach Ken Eakin. So he observed that we tend to think that if we put information in to other humans, we'll get behaviors out. But humans are not quite so mechanical. So his remedy is to allow, quote, um, is to not allow, quote, more training as an improvement idea. He says, don't allow new technology, hire more people, reorg, or bigger budgets as ideas either. I love that list. 
imposing constraints helps people think beyond their first impulses based on flawed assumptions and pushes their thinking and creativity to higher levels. That's great. We should have this, you know, again, posted on walls. Uh, and I also really like this quote from Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt, Demetrios Venitas. Uh, the best form of training is no training. And he says, we should make everything obvious and intuitive and people should know what to do. For example, who taught you how to use a drive-thru? Who taught you how to order something from Amazon? Make the process or system as obvious and intuitive as possible and you'll minimize the need to train. That so resonates with me. It's my challenge to the people I coach. When they say, you know, lack of training, I'll say, why is the process so complex that we need so much training? So Tracy, how do you deal with the problem solvers inclination to fix processes with more training? Yes, training is definitely a piece of the puzzle, I'll admit, especially if you're training people on a new and improved process, right? Oh, you have a new process. We've got to train people on the new process. But it's not actually improving the process, just training people on that process. So I don't let problem solvers using PDCA or DMAIC off the hook with just, oh, we're going to train people as the improvement. Because really, you're not improving the process. That doesn't count. You didn't remove waste, you didn't remove steps, you didn't make the process better, easier, faster, you just trained people on a crappy process. <laughs> I have a picture of a knotted water pipe. It's my go-to visual to say, when you wanna train people on a process that looks like this, this knotted pipe, how about we try to simplify and streamline the process first then train them on the better process. And that seems to resonate with people. I love that visual, Tracy. That pipe visual says it all in one glance. And these were great examples from so many people. We didn't even cover all of them. You can see them on the original post, but our community is seasoned. So they've seen these problems in spades and it's great to share techniques. I always learn from them. Yes, I agree, Elizabeth. Your post on this topic really seemed to strike a chord with folks in the lean community. It's definitely something we run into a lot and it still shocks me a little bit how often training still comes up as the default solution. It's crazy. I'm Tracy O'Rourke and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. We host these monthly, so you can go to the www.jitcafe.com and go to our podcast page to check them all out. Coming up next, it's our featured guests, Nick Katko and Mike DeLuca. Tracy, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Nick and Mike? I'd be happy to. So Nick is an author, speaker, and president owner of BMA. And for over 30 years, Nick has leveraged his lean accounting experience to develop, lead, and coach clients in every virtual industry, virtually every industry, uh, to achieve lean accounting transformations. So Nick is a regular speaker at the annual Lean Accounting Summit and has also presented at conferences in the United States, Europe, Asia, and Australia. He's the co-author of Practicing Lean Accounting and the author of The Lean CFO, which has been translated into Turkish and Italian, and he's a regular contributor to the Journal of Cost Management. So Mike... Mike DeLuca, his lean journey began in the early 2000s at Group Health Cooperative in Seattle, where as executive director of finance, he implemented lean accounting 
and co-led the lean transformation of financial planning processes across the enterprise. In his lean coaching practice, he helps companies adopt lean in accounting, finance, strategic planning and deployment, value stream management, and cross-functional process improvement in both finance and operational areas. Mike is a regular speaker at conferences and workshops, including the Lean Summit, Lean Accounting Summit, and Beyond Budgeting Conferences. He co-founded with Gene Cunningham, the Center for Lean Accounting, Learning and Practice at the Lean Enterprise Institute, where he also serves as lean accounting faculty and coach. Whew, they've done a lot. Hello, Nick and Mike. Welcome to the cafe. We are so happy you could join us here for a cup of lean caffeine. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Thanks you. a lot. <laughs> We're really excited to talk about your book today, uh, Practicing Lean Accounting. So tell us about a little bit about your collaboration as co-authors. So I always love to hear the story about the idea, the moment that comes together. What problem were you hoping to solve with this book? Well, there's a lot of good lean accounting books out there. And what we wanted to do was sort of explain it, sort of, you know, take, take some pieces of how the other books explain lean accounting and, and explain it in a, a way that readers can easily understand it. And, and that's why we selected the title of Practicing Lean Accounting. Uh, accountants have a, I'm, I'm one, uh, we have a tendency to be doers. And we, we work, you know, people that work in accounting departments and companies have a tendency to work on this cycle of deadlines and getting things done. And we wanted to explain that lean accounting is more about practices which go on all the time, not something you just do once in a while. Mm -hmm. Uh And go ahead, Tracy. Uh, No, very helpful. What, what, you have anything to add to that, Mike? You know, the original, one of the original ideas, Nick, as we were working on the book was it was gonna be a roadmap, almost a traveler's guide. And I think, you know, for each of us, because we've each been on our, our own journeys, implementing lean accounting as, as, as accounting and finance leaders, the idea of having something that, like Nick said, integrated, not just what, what is uh, already available and other great books that's out there, but our own experiences in a way that was really practical, which is, and, and, and a roadmap or a traveler's guide seemed like, okay, well, you know, we're going to follow this roadmap um, and, and, uh, and it would be really practical, but then ultimately, uh, ultimately it turned into just the idea of, well, it's, we're, it's a practice where we're, we want to talk about how to practice lean accounting. Mm. Um, Nick, in a blog for the lean enterprise, you wrote lean accounting is a collection of new and different practices that change how accounting approaches its work, its relationships with its customers and its role in a lean custom uh, company. Uh, can you tell us more about how practicing lean accounting changes relationships with customers? Well, uh, accounting has a lot of customers, which, which is interesting. They, they have, they deal with the a company's customers primarily through things like invoicing and 
and billing and things like that, but they also have a wide variety of internal customers who have a wide variety of needs. And, you know, if, if you think of lean as, you know, serving customers better, how can accounting serve all its customers better? And it means understanding what they value and making sure that is delivered. And, and it really has a dramatic impact on internal customers because, um, you know, we, accounting needs to listen, especially in a lean company, because the, need, the information needs change and accounting needs to adopt, to, adopt adapt to that. Mm-hmm. Would you say that traditionally lean accounting or, or accounting practices are not customer focused? What, do you, what are your thoughts around that? It's funny because, uh, and the reason why I asked this is because I did work with someone who was in accounting at King County and she said, well, you know, you don't go to the accounting business because you're warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts around that, Mike? Yeah, so that's a really good question. You know, I think, and I'll just speak for myself, starting off in my, in my own career in finance and accounting, I, I would say that certainly the, the, the end recipient of the work that I was doing, that, that person or a group of people, that was important to me. Um, and I, I think the, the lean frame, and, and I think you'll find uh, as much variation in accounting and finance as potentially you would in any other, in any other support service in an organization regarding how how quote unquote customer focused the the folks who are working in, in there are. And so, but let's just take it from the perspective of how the lean discipline actually helps um, fine tune that customer focus. So I might be a really, a, a traditional accountant and, and, and really care about the end users of my products. But what I don't really understand is how to identify customer requirements and then adjust my work to really best meet those customer requirements. And so I think even in organizations where the accounting team has good relationships, with the other, with the people that they serve in the organization. The lean frame really helps think about what, what is it that they truly need? Do I deeply understand that? Um, and, and as opposed to I'm imposing my I'm imposing my own expectations or I'm imposing some uh, some at more maybe more of an academic or a learned construct on what it is that my customers need. How am I deeply understanding what they need and then ensuring that what I'm doing gets that to them? You know, high quality, first time quality, and you know, quickly and easily when they need it. So that that might be what I'd add. Um, I love that. Yeah, that's great. Um, and this is kind of a different tack, but Nick, I, I'm impressed. I feel like you have good influence skills. And I want to know, how did you get Mike to agree to inserting your granddaughter Zeta's horse drawing into your book? <laughs> well, um, we, uh, we, Mike and I would meet usually on Friday afternoons uh, and, and just have a recap of what we did and what we're going to do next week. And, and, uh, Zeta, when, when, this is when she was not in school, uh, she, we usually had her on Fridays and, uh, she would, uh, sit in on the meetings and cause she wanted to know who Mike was and all this stuff. And, and, and then she would sit next to me and draw pictures. 
and then she'd show them to Mike. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and then she drew this one picture of a horse. And uh, she said, she said to me after the meeting, she said, you need to put a horse in the, in your book. So I, uh, I talked to Mike about it and <laughs> just said, you know, it's hard for a grandfather to turn that down. <laughs> basically, <laughs> she, I, you know, Zeta, Zeta, and she has a little brother too. They can basically ask me anything and I'll do it. So I think it brings, I, brings some horsepower. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, good. Mike, what were you going to say? That was, I was just going to say it was an easy yes. I mean, we spent so much time on Zoom and Nick, you had both your grandkids and often your cat uh, joining our work sessions in various collaborative ways. So it, it you know, it, it feels like it's part of the book. I mean, she was there. She was present for the creation of this book. So mm -hmm. however that manifested for her was a horse. Yep. And yeah. I think you guys respected that. And that's, mm -hmm. that's good. Um, and Mike, uh, I just want to ask you, lean accounting is a is a rich field, but we often see it as either applying, you know, lean to finance processes or mm -hmm. how everyone else should get better at numbers, you know, mm -hmm. to help all lean efforts. So can you tell us your biggest challenges with helping people get better at numbers? Getting better at numbers. Interesting. So um, I think helping folks get better at numbers is maybe more about helping folks focus on the question that they're trying to answer or the problem they're trying to solve and then say, what do we need to understand better? You know, I, I think for me as a, as a lean learner, you know, many of my teachers would, would often say, well, you know, I'd say something, you know, oh, okay, well, we're not doing as well on receivables this month. How do you know? Right. So you, and, and, you know, we, we, you know, we're, we're really comfortable with numbers and finance and accounting. So we pretty quickly go to the data, but if I'm working with somebody in operations and they're saying, we're not doing as good getting, you know, in, you know, delivering services this month, there's, you know, it's healthcare and we have an access problem, it's manufacturing and we're having trouble uh, with back orders or whatever that might be. And then we're trying to understand why. And, I, and, and we ask the same question. Well, how do you know? And I think that's where the that's where really the, the, the positive, the really beneficial collaboration between accounting and operations is because because asking how do you know and being really curious about that then opens up a dialogue around, well, what do we have available that we can learn from? And it's not necessarily data mining in our data systems, which might be often where where we would go uh, in, on the accounting side because we're really comfortable with the data systems. But I think a, a lot of it, and we've talked about this in the book, is really working with operations to answer the question, how do we know with what information can we collect where the work happens, right? And then, and then if I'm an operations leader or manager or an individual contributor, maybe I get more comfortable with the numbers because the numbers actually are numbers that I collect and they reflect what I'm doing. So I understand a lot better. What does it mean? Because this is this is my own reality. It's not something that you pulled out of a database somewhere with some 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 technological mumbo jumbo that I, that I don't that you know I don't get. It's actually something that is meaningful and tangible to me because we measured it together. So it's nice, meaningful and tangible. Uh, yes. <clears throat> what do you would you say are the biggest, maybe some either popular or common misconceptions about lean accounting? Oh boy. <laughs> one one which I still hear to this day 
is they say uh, lean accounting is a is a, a a different way to do accounting that is not generally accepted accounting principles, or it's a second set of books, and it, it just people think that, and uh, they think they have to you sort of change their financial accounting method, and that's just not true. It's um, that's one of the big things, and and I think the other thing is that um, a lot of people think this is something accounting must do on its own, rather than it's sort of a, a strategic component of an overall lean transformation. What would you say, Mike? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think this idea that lean accounting is somehow non-compliant or actually creates more waste because you're because like Nick said, you're 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 building a second set of books and then we have all that wasted time trying to reconcile accounts. That that's that that's it's important to dispel that. Um and, and I and I think that, you know, helping folks understand we're actually not especially i mean anyone who's trying to learn lean is going to is is may initially respond and say i'm already too busy it's going to be hard for me to do this i may not have the time to it doesn't matter if it's operations or accounting or hr that might be an initial response and i think helping folks understand that we're not actually adding all of that unnecessary burden that actually what we're what we'll ultimately do is simplify the work that we're doing while making it more effective um, i think it's uh, it's an important way to frame it um I want to build on the concept of waste. Um, and Nick, can you say what are the types of waste that are most prevalent in accounting practices? Uh, number one is uh, defects or poor quality. Um, whether it's the whether it's the information in a lean company, whether it's the information accounting may be pushing into operations, which it, uh, operations really doesn't lean operations really doesn't need anymore. That's defective. The other is inside accounting processes like accounts payable, accounts receivable. Uh, it's missing or incorrect information. So, you know, accounts payable works pretty well if everything's right on the invoice that you receive from the supplier. But if something is wrong and some or something is missing or incorrect. Even things like the billing address of the supplier or something like that, it, it stops the process. And accounting spends a lot of time fixing those defects, not always working on eliminating them. I can't tell you how many times we've built process maps with organizations, whether, I mean, for, for organizations that we've worked in or with, and, and it's just a natural part of the process is all of these decision diamonds where it says, did I get the right information? And there's a loop back because I didn't get it. It's incorrect. It's something is missing. And I, and that's just, that's assumed to be a normal part of the process. We're going to get erroneous inputs or incomplete inputs, and we have to fix them. And there's almost no question about it. We've become so used to defect correction in our work. Tracy and I both worked with a financial services firm for a number of years, and they had whole rework departments, as you were saying. It was just, <laughs> yeah. can you guys help us streamline the rework department? Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah. When it should mm -hmm. be, can you help us eliminate the rework department? <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
And then uh, also it affects relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So then there's this conflict where, why can't they just give us the right information? I don't like them so much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I found process walks to be very eye opening uh, so people can walk the process and see kind of how complicated some of these processes are sometimes and then realize, oh, so maybe they're not dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's so that's an important one just to spend a few a few moments on. And I, this has happened with me and a number of organizations I've worked with, but I can think of two off the top of my head. And, and, and Nick, we talk about this in the book that part a lot, you know, a number of different processes and accounting require that folks do time tracking. That might be in order to bill um, progress payments or or certainly payroll or any or any number of different things might require that folks are doing uh, uh, time tracking relative to, to specific projects. Um, and it's often a frustration for accounting because the time tracking, again, it can be late getting it. Uh, it can be erroneous. It can be incomplete. There can be any number of issues with it. And like you said, Tracy, then there's that, that tension because why can't they just get it to us correct and on time? So I, I, and whenever I encounter that, I say, well, let's go see what it's like for that person to input their time. Mm -hmm. Let's just sit down with them when it's time for them to record their time whether they do it daily or weekly or bi-weekly, let's just arrange time to just sit and watch and the eyes open. And I had no idea it was so hard and it takes so long. And how do I know which codes to use? And it's so complicated. And, and then, and then, the, and then each, each group can work together on how do we simplify it and make it easy to do the right thing? You know, one of my lean teachers said, make the right thing to do the easiest thing to do. So I love that. Make the right thing to do the easiest thing to do. I think there's an entire book about that called Nudge that uh, was written by the Heath brothers, one of our favorite authors. They talk about how make make the right choice easy. I love yeah. that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other thing I like is also, you know, we always hear I'm not getting what I need. I'm not getting what I need. So how do we make it easier for you to get what you need, right? How do we make it easier for them to provide that information, right? So they, you know, focusing on, I'm not getting what I need as opposed to shifting the thought process. How do I make it easier for them to give me what I need, right? Yeah, and it's another, it's another, you know, it's, it's another important way that in, that lean accounting learns how to go see how to model respect for people and how to create a collaboration around solving a problem as opposed to, like you said, attention or maybe a, um, maybe a, a, a non-collaborative relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, just a quick note, Tracy, as much as we love the Heath brothers, Richard Saylor wrote nudge. I just want to oh, give shit. credit where credit is due. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to kill that one for me then. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's Okay. It's just a mistake. We're talking about mistakes, Tracy, and how they get made, you know, and in your case, it's just a memory issue. You know, Nick was just talking about, I mean, Mike was talking about you go into the gamut to see how that happens. And I can just see exactly how that, how that. I'm happens. so glad you caught that. Um, so I'm going to, uh, Nick, one of the stumbling blocks that we run into with improvement leaders is the need to make their efforts show up on the bottom line, right? So I know that's a big piece. Of, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if they are measuring labor hours, the bottom line could mean losing staff that, you know, fundamentally anti-lean, you know, who's going to want to practice lean if the last effort resulted in a reduction in force? So the other focus with labor hours is repurposed time, right? So less waste in the system means more hours to add value. But there's always a 
that's considered soft saving and less valuable. So how do you address that tug? Yeah. It, um, first of all, it, it's important, you know, for and, and improve, improvement leaders, I think, intuitively understand what I'm about to say, but sometimes finance and accounting doesn't understand it or company leaders don't understand it, is that most improvement activities they generate time, which we call capacity, you know. And, you know, capacity, you know, t- time doesn't show up on the financial statements. So if sort of company policy is all improvement activities need to show a cost savings, people have a tendency to, mon- as Mike says, monetize time. Mm-hmm. So how much time did we save? What's the labor rate? You know, how often does this occur? Multiply it out. We're saving $100,000 a year mm-hmm. because of this improvement, but it doesn't show up. So, you know, you, you have to you have to be able to measure capacity to show the time pe- being created. And that's one piece. The other piece is how do you measure costs? Now, if you're looking at, just cost savings, you may, you, you, you know, that's going to be, you'll get some savings out of improvement, but not significant because of what you said, repurposing the time. So you know, we, we talk about measuring your labor cost as a percentage of sales, for example, when the percentage goes down over time, if you are making improvements and repurposing the time. But if you're looking at just the absolute monetary value, you're not going to see it. Yeah, this is an important one. I wonder if I could just quickly add two things. One, think about the continuous improvement cycle in in our lean thinking plan do check adjust when i'm in the when i'm in the plan phase i've got i've got i'm pursuing this improvement for a reason i have a hypothesis uh, it's either part of my strategy it came out of a kaizen plan from a value stream mapping it's something that the department identified whatever it is what's my hypothesis well i'm going to improve this process in order to reduce the amount of rework so i create time so what i mean it's for 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 us as lean leaders or as coaches or as leaders in an organization, part of developing the improvement hypothesis, I think is importantly includes that then what are we going to do with the capacity we create? And we think about that at the outset. Is that getting redeployed to another, another business unit, another service line? Do we have unmet volume or unmet demand that we want to serve? What's our intention? It's not just we're going to, oh, gee, we ought to improve this process. I don't think, I don't think leaders are necessarily going around willy-nilly saying, you know, let's improve that process without an intention. So let's, let's encourage folks to include in that intention when we create the capacity, what are we going to do with it? And then what we do with it creates an economic benefit. We serve more customers. Then to Nick's point, sales go up with the same amount of labor cost, right? I think the other thing that's important is in some organizations, and, and, and mine was true in healthcare, is that you know, we made a commitment to not lay folks off as a result of, of process improvement. However, we don't always have the opportunity in, 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 in industries, and healthcare is a good example, to grow business. We don't want more sick people. We're not trying to generate more demand. We're actually trying to reduce demand by keeping people healthier. So what do we do when we create capacity? Well, there are a number of answers to that, but one obvious one is over time, there's natural turnover and attrition in most, in most areas. 
So you may not actually, you're not, you're not going to lay folks off. However, you're going to have folks moving on to other positions and on a, on a, you know, quarterly annual basis. And so there, there is the opportunity to identify areas where you wouldn't replace a position when it's vacated. So again, I'm not saying that that's the best first place to go, but it is part of the economic reality that, that we have to have some intention around what are we going to do with the time that we create. Great points. Thank you, Mike. I just feel like that is just a, and you guys feel it. You both have some passion around it. It's a bugaboo, but I like the idea of um, the capacity and um, attrition. I know we've dealt with uh, those things, but coming in with intention, I do mm-hmm. appreciate that. Yes. And that's a great segue into our next question with about intention. And that is, so of course we want people to read your book and you really talk about lean accounting transformation and some of the key practices that have to happen uh, in order for that to happen. So uh, tell us at least one thing, what would you share one nugget from these key practices that you could share if you had to pick one? I know that's hard. (laughs) Key practices is um... You know, customer value is is about serving customers, you know, and lean is about serving customers better. And that's what lean accounting is about. It's about serving all of the customers that accounting interacts with better over time. Yeah, one of the, I think this really helps us in accounting and finance identify, you know, if we talk about the different types of waste that we encounter in our work, if we're really clear on customer requirements, it helps us get a lot clearer about what is overproduction and what is excess processing, because it's, we have now have a context for saying, oh, we're producing more than the customer requires. I can't tell you how many reports my team sent out each month, hundreds and hundreds of recurring reports. And when we got really clear on what the end, and, all, and folks always said, oh yeah, we wanna get those reports. We're in, those are interesting, they're helpful. And when we, when we changed the frame and said, how are they helpful? How are you using those to improve the organization's performance for its customers? Um, it, it completely changes the frame. So I think Nick's point is really important. This foundational practice of understanding customer value really helps us get a lot of the uh, create a lot of clarity in accounting and finance around what work is quote unquote value added and versus what's what, what's overproduction? Because I think we do a lot of overproduction and excess processing. Excess processing, we do estimates and forecasts to, to enormous levels of detail and granularity and precision that, again, are not necessarily required by the end customers. So, so I, I think I think that really that's a very very helpful frame for us. That's awesome because that. that is a constant. I mean, I think just the word reports usually sends like a shudder. You know, it's like what. <laughs> How many, how many, how long, you know, but that's a, the clarifying question. How are they helpful mm-hmm. to really sort of step back um, and look at that extra processing? And I love it when they discover it, right? They're like, what are we doing to ourselves? Can I tell you a quick story about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I went to uh, work at, a, I did, I did some work at a company small family owned business, been around for about 50 years. And uh, we, we talked about all kinds of waste. 
And uh, one of the things that came out is that, you know, this, this company privately held had a chart of accounts of over a thousand individual accounts. <laughs> and we, they, they broke it down into the, the types of accounts and all that stuff. And so we, we talked about, you know, how to, how to improve that. And, and just this morning, I, I uh, talked with them uh, and they had a meeting yesterday and in two hours they reduced, they, they eliminated about 500 accounts because they just sat there and said they didn't need them. And, and, you know, it only took two hours. And he said, there's about 20, the CFO said, there's still about 20 accounts that people still want to hang on to. So it's going to take a little while longer. So 50% reduction in the chart of accounts in two hours. In two hours. That's two amazing. Hours. And, you, and you're like, my work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's a great story. And I know the book is full of just examples of what you guys have experienced in your immense careers. So thank you so much for pulling that together. And if people wanted to, well, we're going to let everyone know how to get the book, but if they wanted to get in touch with you, where should they go? Start with Nick and then go to Mike. All right. So uh, go to the uh, BMA website, which is uh, maskell, M-A-S-K-E-L-L.com. And you can learn, and you can also contact me at ncatco at maskell.com. And uh, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Yep, and we're both on that website. Yeah, Mike's on it that. too. Yeah. Um, either that or we could get in touch with um, Zeta, see where yeah. uh, you guys yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. Track, the, track yeah. the art career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. She's Thanks getting, so much. She, she, she can read now. So this Ooh. thing is going to continue to build. Yeah. She's, She's got her own chapter book. in your next book by Zeta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, may have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for coming to the cafe. It's a pleasure to have you. This has been a lovely conversation. Thanks. Thank this you was so fun. much. Be sure to register for our January 20th webinar with leadership impact coach Sunitha Narayanan. She's going to teach us how to use hope as a leadership strategy. I'm hopeful about that. Sunitha is great at bringing the workings of our minds into play and how the amygdala brain region drives a lot of our behavior and how to leverage that to become better leaders. And there's still time for you to join our next Lean Six Sigma Leadership Workshop offered through UC San Diego. Class starts at the end of January and goes for 12 weeks We'll provide the link to all of these on our website. We are thrilled to have your company. The Just In Time Cafe is a great place because of our fabulous community. And it has been tremendous experience last year. (laughs) (laughs) Looking forward to a whole new year. So join us next month for your jolt of lean caffeine.